The reading today is from Daniel 11. It comes in three sections. The first will be verses 2 through 10. Then we will go to verses 21 to 35. And then on to chapter 12, the first four verses. The kings of the south and the north. Now then, I tell you the truth. Three more kings will arise in Persia, and then a fourth, who will be far richer than all the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will arise, who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has arisen, his empire will be broken up and parceled out towards the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. The king of the south will become strong, but one of his commanders will become even stronger than he, and will rule his own kingdom with great power. After some years, they will become allies. The daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to make an alliance, but she will not retain her power and he and his power will not last. In those days she will be betrayed, together with her royal escort and her father and the one who supported her. Someone from within her family will arise to take her place. He will attack the forces of the king of the north and enter his fortress. He will fight against them and be victorious. He will also seize their gods, their metal images, and their valuable articles of silver and gold and carry them off to Egypt. For some years he will leave the king of the north alone. Then the king of the north will invade the realm of the king of the south, but will retreat to his own country. His sons will prepare for war and assemble a great army, which will sweep on like an irresistible flood and carry the battle as far as his fortress. We'll now move to verses 21 to 35. He will be succeeded by a contemptible person who has not been given the honor of royalty. He will invade the kingdom when its people feel secure, and he will seize it through intrigue. Then an overwhelming army will be swept away before him. Both it and a prince of the covenant will be destroyed. After coming to an agreement with him, he will act deceitfully, and with only a few people, he will rise to power. When the richest provinces feel secure, he will invade them and will achieve what neither his father nor his forefathers did. He will distribute plunder, loot, and wealth among his followers. He will plot the overthrow of fortresses, but only for a time. With a large army, he will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south. The king of the south will wage war with a large and very powerful army, but he will not be able to stand because of the plots devised against him. Those who eat from the king's provisions will try to destroy him. His army will be swept away and many will fall in battle. The two kings, with their hearts bent on evil, will sit at the same table and lie to each other but to no avail, because an end will still come at the appointed time. The king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take action against it and then return to his own country. At the appointed time, he will invade the south again, but this time the outcome will be different from what it was before, 
ships of the western coastlands will oppose him and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the, to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. When they fall, they will receive a little help, and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. We move on to chapter 12. The end times. <clears throat> at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, another interesting passage, isn't it? Well done. We've made it to the end of Daniel. We're actually doing chapters 10 to 12. It's one huge section. But before that, um, yeah, life in Daniel often seems difficult, isn't it? It talks a lot about suffering. Suffering is, is difficult, isn't it? How can God allow something like an earthquake where all these seemingly innocent people die? Um, how can babies get Zika viruses, those kind of things. There's also a very Christian version of that. I don't know if you're familiar with what's called the prosperity gospel. It's what some churches teach. Eh? If, uh, if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, then, well, surely you will be rich and healthy because God is your father, right? God is the creator, the ruler of the universe, and he loves you, so surely life will be good as long as you kind of you obey him. Now, most of us, I guess, wouldn't believe that. But at least we think, look, if God loves me, my life at least should be okay, right? I shouldn't suffer. And so when people then do suffer, why does God let this happen? Uh, is there something wrong? And the atheist will tell you, well, look, there is no God. Look at your life. If God loves you, surely this wouldn't happen. How does all this wrong stuff happen? And we feel that tension. If there's a God, why these wrong things? And there's a lot to say on that. Uh, today's passage will, I think, give us a, uh, a helpful piece of the puzzle. But I hope that is a tension that you've also felt as we've studied Daniel. 
because the first part of Daniel is so encouraging, isn't it? Daniel's at the court, and all these great things happen. Eh? People are rescued from the fiery furnace, from the lion's den. Uh, proud rulers are humbled. Uh, great visions. Uh, Daniel is helped all the time. And it's so positive. And then the second half is so negative. Life will be awful. Life will be ruled by beasts, and you get persecution, and life will be full of trouble because it's a sinful world. There's this tension. How do we resolve that? Well, this is the last section, and yeah, today this will all come together. I mean, it's one huge vision. We've read mainly from the vision. What, what happens in chapter 10? Daniel gets a visit from, I don't know, some heavenly figure. I mean, Daniel's seen quite a few angels. He knows some of them by name. Usually the introduction is only one verse. I, I, I was lying in bed and an angel came. This is a whole chapter. And this figure is so overwhelming that Daniel just falls to the ground without any strength. It's so, such a powerful vision. And you get the feeling this must be so important, right? If the, if the president shows up at your doorstep, it must be important what he has to say. This must be such an important vision. Uh, pity we can't spend time on chapter 10 because, uh, yeah, it, it just, it's all too big. But, yeah, this is the final vision. This is what God gives the, his people to be faithful to him for the next few hundred years. And, uh, he's not going to do much speaking for the next few hundred years. They need to know how can they live. And, yeah... What makes it difficult to live? And that's what we're going to see. Uh, you're going to get God's perspective on the thing. That's a nice thing if a, an angel shows up. You get God's perspective. And if you hear this vision, if you've read it, I think the first thing people would really know deeply, I think, is God's perspective, that he is in charge. God is in charge. Now, you've heard the reading. I'm not sure if it made much sense to you the king of the south and the king of the north and all that stuff. It's basically just history. Uh, it happens, it talks about, I don't know, a few more kings in Persia and then the kingdom of Greece. Uh, verse 11, verse 3, a mighty king who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. That's Alexander the Great. Now what happens to Alexander the Great? Verse 4, after he has arisen, his empire will be broken up parceled out towards the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants. Actually, that is what happened. Alexander the Great, he got sick after conquering most of the known world, and he died, and his empire was divided between his four generals. And basically, you see Israel there somewhere in the middle between purple and orange. Orange is the, the Seleucid Empire, that's kind of the king of the north. They are to the north of Israel. And in the south, you have kind of Egypt, the Ptolemies, the king of the south. So it's just, yeah, the ruler of one empire and the ruler of another empire. And where do they fight? Well, in the middle, in Israel. Basically, this whole chapter is just history. It tells Daniel what's going to happen in terms of kind of politics there for the next few hundred years. But still... Yes, you heard it. It's incredible detail. It's not just there's two kingdoms. No, this king has a plan, but his daughter made an alliance, and so the plan fails, and then another king comes up. It, it, it's, like the, it's like a TV series, right? A soap opera. Such incredible detail. 
and the period it focuses on, I mean, it's 370 years in advance. I mean, who can do that? It's like, I don't know, take the year the, the 1640s. So in China, there was the Ming Dynasty, but it's crumbling now, and it, it's going to be replaced by the Qing Dynasty. Maybe the, that, that might help some of you. Uh, if you're from the US, Boston, Massachusetts, was founded only 10 years ago. Uh, in the UK, there's Oliver Cromwell, the Civil War. Um, Abel Tasman just discovered New Zealand. Well, there, there were already people there, but you know what I mean. That's how long ago. And then an angel shows up, and he starts talking about Trump and Clinton. I mean, <laughs> that's quite extraordinary, right? To, to talk so long in advance in so much detail about politics in the future. Now, what does that tell you that God does this? I mean, it's so detailed that most people who are not Christians, they just don't believe that this could ever be predicted in advance. Surely this was written afterwards. And um, he writes in 2017, he writes this all down. But then again, it was accepted as the Old Testament around the same time. Clearly, it must have been around earlier. But if God can predict this in such detail, well, surely he is in charge, right? We know from chapter 2, if God, God knows because he controls. He knows the future because he controls the future. And if God knows the future in incredible detail, then he is in charge of incredible detail of your life, of history, of the world, of the future. And as you try to live for hundreds of years, you need to know, right, God is in charge. Now, that's God's perspective. But you see the vision, and it's, it's rather weird. There, there's no angels, no beasts, no horns. It's just very normal, just kings and politics. Because chapter 11 is written from our perspective. And our perspective is very different. Our perspective, God seems absent. God seems absent. You read chapter 11, and God is just never mentioned. God seems absent. I mean, there's one reference somewhere. It says the people who know their God. That's the only references. But he's never said to do anything. It's just humans, just two countries, just politics. It's weird, isn't it? This is the future. It, it, it's... It's when God seems absent. Now, we know we are in exile. We heard that last week. We are away from God. But that is what it's like. Eh? You're, God is not, it seems absent. I mean, there's hints that he's in charge. Eh? It talks about the appointed time. Now, who does the appointing? He's in charge. But he seems absent. Eh? And if people tell you, well, I don't believe in God... I don't see him. Well, they're, they're right that you don't see him. But if God seems absent, that has a few consequences about what life will be like. That just make it very hard to be faithful. So let's look at those. First of all, I think if you heard the reading, and especially if you read it all, a world where nothing happens. I don't know if you found the reading very exciting. But it looks like nothing happens. I mean, lots of stuff happens in some way, right? Politics and battles. But if you're waiting for the kingdom of God, 
if you're waiting for the Messiah to come, then it looks like nothing happens. It's just long and boring. You, you know it's going to be a long time, but there's another king and another king and another ruler and another battle and another king. Long and boring. I mean, I don't think anyone here has this as their favorite chapter, right? It's not the kind of encouraging verses. I don't know, you know those Christian calendars where you have a, a mountain backdrop with be still and know that I am God. I mean, can you imagine that? Huh? The daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to make an alliance. It, it doesn't work, right? Where is God? Where is the gospel? Where is, where, where is anything encouraging? But that is life. If God seems absent, it often looks like nothing happens. Of course, God is doing stuff behind the scenes, but you don't see it. And of course, now in the New Testament, yes, the Spirit is here. And in a little way, God does things. You know God when you read the Bible and you see answered prayer. We see people saved, yes. But the big picture, politics, business, it looks like God is not there. And maybe you feel like that. You go to the work every day, the MTR. Every day is the same. And maybe you get a new boss and another boss, but nothing really happens. You wonder, is God doing anything? Well, that's what life is supposed to feel like. But it makes it hard, isn't it, to stay faithful if you don't see God and he just doesn't seem to be doing anything. But that's only the first thing, what makes life difficult. Because the second half of the vision, the second reading we had, it zooms in on one guy. Verse 21, he will be succeeded by a contemptible person. Now, this guy is called... Antiochus Epiphanes, he was a king of the Seleucid Empire of the north, and he was just insane. But why was, is it so important that half the chapter talks about him? Well, in verse 28, the king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He hates Jews, he hates the Jewish religion. And a few years later, um, he attacks the south again, but the Romans interfere. Uh, verse 30, ships of the western coastlands will oppose him, and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the holy covenant. Hey, he's had a bad day. He wanted to attack, and it was foiled. And so he's, he gets angry and just does some persecution. Right? He uh, vents his fury against the Jewish religion. So verse 31, his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress, will abolish the daily sacrifice, and they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. And they attack the Jews, they take over the temple, an altar to Zeus, and sacrifice a pig. I mean, that really offends Jewish sensibilities. And verse 33, those who are wise will instruct many Though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. It's really the, the worst persecution they had ever faced. I mean, it, it was just so nasty. He attacked on the Sabbath. Because, yeah, devout Jewish soldiers, they're not allowed to fight on the Sabbath, right? Great day to attack them if you're an insane king. Um, he forced people to eat pork, making them unclean. 
there were women who had their child circumcised, they were hanged, that kind of thing. This was just some of the worst persecution they ever experienced. Of course, they need to be warned about that, warned that they had to stand firm, but why is this so difficult? I think it's a world without explanation. A world without explanation. I mean, when Babylon came, that was quite difficult as well, right? Because they, they burned the temple and everything, destroyed the city. But people knew why. And the people had sinned, and God had warned them, look, if you keep sinning, I need to punish you. You have to leave the land. And they didn't repent, so he said, okay, I'm going to send the Babylonians, and they're going to come and destroy things and take you away. They knew exactly why it was happening. But with this persecution, why? It's just an insane king who hates the Jews and wants to persecute them. There's no reason, right? There's no explanation given. It just, it just happens. In the promised land, God is present and he reveals and he speaks. But when God is absent, we don't know. It makes it difficult, isn't it? Bad things happen and you don't know why. I mean, why did the Chinese get Mao and he wanted to destroy the church? Why? Why was Hong Kong safe under the British rule? Why? Uh, what have the Iraqi Christians done that they deserve ISIS? Right? We don't know. There's no explanation. That's, that's the world we live in. There's things happening in your life and you don't know why. Because God is absent. God doesn't speak in the same way. He's just given us the big picture, but we don't know. That's, that makes it so much more difficult to stand firm, isn't it? A world without explanation. And even worse, it's a world that's the wrong way round. A world that's the wrong way round. Because if you look at the persecution, there's two groups mentioned. Uh, verse 30, yeah, uh, at the last sentence, he will return and show favor to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Yeah, people who, Jews who were, didn't care about their religion, well, they were shown favor. Yeah, uh, verse 32, with flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Yeah, two groups, a group that forsakes the covenant and a group, well, that is faithful. But what happens to each? What happens to the faithful ones? Well, they are, they are killed, burned, tortured. What happens to the corrupt ones who forsake the covenant? Well, they are shown favor. But, but that's the wrong way around, isn't it? If you're a Jew and you've read the law and you know God's character, you know God loves righteousness and hates wickedness, then surely the, the righteous are blessed and the, and the wicked are cursed, right? That's how it should be. The faithful people should be blessed. But it's the wrong way around. Do you see that? that? That's what makes it so difficult. It's not just that there's no correlation between how you live and, and what happens. It's, it's in persecution, it's the opposite. The more faithful you are, the more godly you are, the worse you're going to have it. That's wrong, isn't it? Normally, breaking the Sabbath gets you killed. Now, keeping the Sabbath gets you killed. It's the wrong way around. It's so hard. It's contrary to everything you know about God. So unfair. 
And we live in the same world sometimes, right? Maybe you, you're at your job and you work really hard with real integrity. You try to honor God and you get fired. And your colleague who just lies and cheats, he gets promoted. That's unfair, isn't it? That's wrong. And yet that is the world we live in, a world where God is absent. In the UK, I don't know, you, you hold to traditional marriage, you get reviled and attacked. But if you're a vicar who celebrates same-sex marriage, you're going to be on TV and interviewed and become a celebrity. Yeah, that's the world we live in. It's not always this bad. I mean, this is the first time in 370 years that they had this, such a bad persecution. Usually life is just it's trouble, it's not great, but it's okay. I mean, it's not always like this. I mean, look at Daniel himself. He had real integrity. He even became prime minister. It can happen. At the same time, he also ended up in the lion's den because of his integrity. They, they can both happen, and we don't know why. But that's a, it's difficult to live then, isn't it? Difficult to be faithful if, if nothing happens and there's no explanation and life is often the opposite of what you expect. Thankfully, yeah, that's not where it ends. If this was all there was, then why be a Christian? But there's chapter 12. At, chapter, uh, at the end of chapter 11, we jump to the end of history. And then finally, God does something. Let me read 12, 1 to 3 again. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And the last time we saw faithful believers, they were tortured and burned and everything. But now they're shining like stars. They're raised from the dead and shining like stars. Right? Because everyone will be raised from the dead. And what is this? It's the resurrection. The resurrection, when everything is put right. And because there is this resurrection and this big division, some go to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. A big division. And this is right, because it is the wise, those who are faithful, who shine. And it's those who are corrupt and those who compromise and those who oppose God, they will go to everlasting contempt. I mean, heaven and hell, basically. But you, can you see that that makes it right? It's right that the faithful are rewarded. It's right that those who oppose God yeah, get shame and contempt. Things are put right. And that's why we need 11 and 12 together. 11, it all seems wrong, but here it's all put right. This is the answer to everything. And I mean, the, the prosperity gospel, in some way that is right, but it's they forget that we now live in exile. It's at the end, at the resurrection, that God will make everything right and everything will be according to his character. 
everything will be right. It's the answer to all of Daniel. At that time, your people will be delivered. The fiery furnace, the lion's den. When do we see that happening? At the resurrection. When do we see proud kings, Mao, Kim Il-sung, when do we see them acknowledging God? At the resurrection. When will God set up his kingdom? At the resurrection. And it's for everyone. Maybe you felt sorry for Daniel if you were here last week. He wants to see the fulfillment of God's promises. He has to wait 500 years. No problem. He'll be there, right? 12, 13. You will rest, and at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. All of Daniel comes together. Everything that we know of God, expect of God, he will do at the end. Which is why the resurrection is just the most important thing for us to know. That is when it will be right. It's a true, happy, happily ever after. And it's not a fairy tale. Uh, here it is future. Here it is a vision that he just has to believe. We can look back, don't we? Is there a God? Well, 2,000 years ago, he wasn't absent. He was present. He walked around here. He revealed things. He made things right. He showed he cared. He died on a cross to rescue us to make it possible for us to get out of this sinful world. And then he rose from the dead to show that the resurrection is real. And we, if we just look to Jesus, we know this is true. The resurrection is true. There is a God, he cares, and he will sort it out at the end. And so, three very quick applications. First of all, yeah, be wise, right? It's the wise that are constantly mentioned here. A wise person understands something. They understand that life now is not what it's supposed to be, but God will sort it out at the end, the resurrection. If you know that, you're wise. So keep holding on to that. Life can be easy, life can be tough. It can be long and boring, it can, lots of things can happen. Keep reminding this, yourself of this. And then, yeah, firmly resist. That's what it should lead to. Stand firm. Sometimes that's easy, sometimes that's tough. But stay faithful. Because at the end, it will be sorted out. It is worth being a Christian. It is the best thing in the end. And finally, I guess it's mentioned here, tell others, right? The wise will instruct many, in verse 33. And the wise are those who lead many to righteousness. You know the future. You know how to live. Others don't. Who's going to tell them? Right? They need warning and encouragement. And we are the ones to do that. Great. Let's take half a minute silence and then I'll pray. And then we'll sing. Father, thank you for being kind and loving, for revealing to us this vision, for telling us what it will be like in exile. And thank you most of all for sorting it all out at the end. Give us faith. Help us to believe your words. And help us to look to Jesus. Thank you that you sent him to die for our sins. Taking the punishment so that we who are wicked can be saved. Thank you for your love that yeah, gave us Jesus. That rose him from the dead so we can have hope. Father, keep us faithful. Whatever life will be like, whether it will be easy or tough, good or bad. Keep us faithful. Keep us trusting. 
that we will be there at the end to receive our allotted inheritance. And if anyone is here who doesn't yet know you, please uh, open their eyes that they might come to Jesus and be there at the end with us. In Jesus' name, amen.